Well, good morning, church. We're gathered here in our central campus, but we have two other campuses that are worshiping with us. And here's the amazing thing, thanks to technology. There are literally people around the world worshiping with Mission Hill right now, this morning. Would you welcome them to worship even right now? This is a significant day in our church. We're calling it Vision Sunday because in small group gatherings, even right now and after this service, people will be gathering in smaller settings to hear about the vision we believe God's put on our heart. And we're excited about this vision and what that means for our future and and how we believe God is going to work in the years that come. Remember, we said we're doing this for you. We're doing this for the next generation, for the city, for the nations, for the kingdom of God. I'm excited today to celebrate the fact that, that we stand literally on the shoulders of greatness. It's because others have come before us that we're able to be here today. And, and today we've got some special guests here in this particular room. Would you do me a favor and welcome Brian and, and Marquita Dickinson? Would you welcome them in the service today? I want to tell you about them. Brian is the son of Herb Dickinson, who was a long-term pastor here at First Baptist Church of Temple Terrace, now Mission Hill Church. Brian really grew up in this setting. He's back in town because of the 40th anniversary of a a reunion of Chamberlain High School. And I I just had a chance to meet Brian and share with him that his dear dad, who I, I spoke to a few years ago, for our anniversary. He's the longest serving pastor of our church, but I have every intention, if God wills, to beat him on that record. So, uh, Brian, so glad you guys are here. We're so thankful for the ministry of your dad and, and for all the ministry that goes on in this church. It's, it's so important, and, and that's why uh, on a particular occasions, we ask you to really talk to God about your generosity for continuing the ministry and the mission of this church. For now 11 years on the first Sunday of November or at the end of October, we've collected what we call a harvest offering. And at this time, this is all we ask, that everyone who worships with us would ask God to give them the ability to give something generous on that particular day. For some of you, you, you're not normally in the pattern of giving, so that may mean just to give something. For others of you, you give, but you've not really sacrificed. And so on that day, you say, I'm going to sacrificially give. For others of you, you're kind of like my family. You, you already tithe, and you give your offerings above the tithe. And so you would begin to pray, God, what do you want me to do in a truly generous and sacrificial way? But however you do that, next Sunday is Harvest Sunday on all of our campuses. And I want to encourage you to continue to be faithful. And this goes directly to support the ministries and the mission of Mission Hill Church. And why is that important? Because we exist to do whatever it takes wherever we are to shine with the light and love of Jesus, just like a city on the hill. Would you just give God praise again for what he's doing at Mission Hill? Yesterday in worship centers across the country, hundreds of thousands of men and women and boys and girls spontaneously rose to their feet. They cheered with all of the might in their lungs. They celebrated as their teams won victory on football fields, baseball stadiums, and hockey rinks, 
and basketball arenas. In some senses, there's nothing like it. I've been to a Super Bowl. I've been to a, a Stanley Cup semifinal. I've been to a college national championship. I've been to NBA games. It's exciting just to see that natural expression, that spontaneous expression of excitement and, and enthusiasm as your team does something great. It's really if it is what you were created to do, right? It's natural. It's, it's your doxology. Do you know what doxology means? It's one of the few words that we have that doesn't originate from Latin. It, it originates from Greek. And it comes from two words in the Greek, doxa, which means glory or praise, and logia, which means an expression or a verbal consent of. And so our doxology is our expression of praise, of what we have magnified in our life. And, and so you've been there, many of you like me, where you've been in your seat in a stadium and something happens and you just stand up because it's a spontaneous expression of the excitement, the enthusiasm that you feel. Growing up, when I heard the word doxology, that's not what I thought about, though. I, I thought about that song that we sang earlier today. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. But in our church, we didn't sing that a whole lot because I did grow up in the more Baptist, less formal tradition. And it was almost like we were so scared of the rituals in some of the more liturgical church settings that we didn't do some of the things that made sense. It was not until I graduated from seminary and, and served in Montgomery, Alabama, that I was a part of a church that every Sunday would take the offering, and then the ushers would bring the offering back down. And then as they arrived at the front, almost on cue, everyone would stand up and sing the doxology. I remember telling my pastor dad about that. and He said, well, son, we praise God for everything, not just for the offering. <laughs> And I get what he was meaning, but that expression of praise, it, it's so important. And today I want you to see that as Jesus concludes his teaching time, teaching us this model prayer, as he gets to the end of this, what he does is shows us the importance of the doxology. He really teaches a principle. That's the one thing I want you to walk away with. Here it is. Our lives should be a doxology, all about God's kingdom, through his power, for his glory. So let's see what that looks like. But first, let's pray. And you know how we've been doing this when we get to the end of my time of praying. If, if you know what Jesus taught, we often call it the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer, then I invite you to pray it with me. So would you stand together once more and let's go to the Father in prayer. Oh, Father in heaven, you see from a perspective that we can't even begin to imagine. So would you cause your name to be sacred in this midst? God, would you allow us to go forward for these next few minutes in such a way that your kingdom would be realized in our lives, in your church? Would we be so attentive that your will would be done in our lives and in this church just as it is in heaven today?
Oh, Father, give us what we need in this moment. And if that be forgiveness, oh, forgive us. If that be that we need to be forgivers, Lord, help us to forgive. And Lord, for that person, that individual that is battling temptation, deliver us from the evil one. Lord, in this moment, we want it all to be about you. Jesus, we praise you. Jesus, we can only pray because of you. So once more we ask, give us those things we don't have, teaching us what we don't know, making us what we've not become for your glory. And in my life, Lord, may that be so. May the words I say in my thoughts, may they please you. God, for someone today, may this time result in an eternal change, salvation. And so, teach us to pray, Lord. Even as you taught your disciples when you prayed, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. We've been talking about this prayer. The disciples came to Jesus and they said, Lord, teach us to pray and so he did, beginning with the person of prayer, our Father. This is a personal time with God. That's what distinguishes Christianity. We believe in a relational faith. We go to God in a relationship. But there's a praise that takes place in prayer. That first petition is that we cause the name of God to be sacred in our lives. And then we go to the priority of prayer. Oh, Father, may your kingdom come in me. May your will be done in my life. And then we think of the provision of prayer. Give me this day my daily bread, my needs. We've learned that God delights in our asking. He wants us to come to him with our request. And then we talk about the pardon that's found in prayer. Forgive us. Oh, church, aren't you grateful for God's forgiveness? Aren't you grateful for the pardon that we have thanks to the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection of Jesus? And then there's the protection of prayer. Oh, lead us not into temptation. We know that Jesus won the war, but oh, Lord, help us in our daily battles. We need you, Jesus. And today we focus on that last phrase. The purpose of prayer. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Let me read that again. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, I need to stop there because some of you have noticed that this is not in many of your translations. Why is that? 
You know, the Bible was comprised as holy men of God wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit of God. And through the early ages of the church, church fathers came together seeking out to God and confirming what, what is of the Lord, what is written of the Lord. And so that's why we have the canon, it's called, the 66 books that make up the Bible. And they're given to us in English, drawn from the earliest Greek manuscripts that can be found. And a lot of those Greek manuscripts don't have this last phrase. A lot of them don't include this. Although there's a teaching that we have called the Didache, and it was the teachings of the earliest apostles. It's what the disciples began to teach to the church as it was formed, how the apostles shared that we should live out our life. And in their teaching, we see that the early church recited the Lord's Prayer, just as you and I have done. And when they recited the Lord's Prayer, they included this phrase, so there's good traditional reason for us to look at it concluding this, but there's also biblical reason. This is consistent with biblical doxology. Just listen to a few of these as you see them there before you. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Or Jude 25, to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now forever. Amen. Or at the end of the book in Revelation chapter 5 and verse 13 and 14, and I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshiped. Or then we see what God's king, King David, the king after God's own heart, what he prayed and 1 Chronicles 29 and, and verse 11, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heavens and the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord. You are exalted as head above all. I want you to see that the doxology is a natural expression of praise when you truly understand who God is and what that means to you. Warren Wiersbe is a pastor and author who's in the last several years went to be with the Lord. But he said, if we did not include this last phrase in our model prayer of the Lord, then the prayer would begin with our Father and end with the devil. <laughs> and so I don't like to do that. I want us to end with the way I believe the early church prayed this prayer. For yours or thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We begin the prayer with our Father, and we end with our King. We begin with His sympathy, and we end with His sovereignty. So here's what I want you to do. I want to change your way of thinking today. I, I want you to make a decision in these next few minutes to live your life as a doxology to the Lord Jesus, to live your life as an expression of praise, uh, spontaneously letting others see what He means to you.
So let's dive into that and dissect this verse. And the first thing I want you to see is that your doxology tells you about what your life is all about. It tells you what your life is all about. For yours is the kingdom. This is the second time in the prayer we've heard of the kingdom, right? The first time Jesus was teaching us to pray, your kingdom come. And so we were reminded that the kingdom of God is both already and not yet. The kingdom of God is already in place, but the kingdom of God is something that is to come and will ultimately be consummated at the coming of the age with the return of Jesus Christ. Aren't you thankful, Christ follower, that Jesus is coming again? Aren't you thankful that there's a day where there's no more death, no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no no more COVID? I'm so thankful that Jesus is coming again. But now we, we live in his existing kingdom. And our praise illustrates what we believe about that kingdom. You could say it this way. The praise of your life will reveal the priorities of your life. Is the kingdom of God the number one thing in your life? What is the kingdom? Well, let's simply put the rule and the reign of God. It's, it's the recognition that he is large and in charge. Graham Goldsworthy says the kingdom of God is God's people in God's place under God's rule and blessing. And in the New Testament, the kingdom of God is referred to 157 times. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you're not mindful of the kingdom of God, you're you're missing out on something. We live in a kingdom of grace but we long for a kingdom of glory. Jesus will one day reign over all of his glorious kingdom, but today he reigns in our lives, in our hearts. We fly his banner, his flag over our lives. Even when he came, Jesus declared his kingdom was not of this world, but he taught that we could live as citizens of his kingdom, and he talked about it over and over and over again. But if this is confusing to you, you're not alone. Because even Jesus' disciples didn't understand it. And so after his resurrection, they're gathered with him, the 120, the closest followers, the church. And in Acts 1 and verse 6, it says, When they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? So they were still asking, Hey, Jesus, will you... um, Will you take charge? We're we're tired of this Roman rule. We recognize the Jewish leaders. They don't understand. Are you ready? Now will you do what we want you to do? And too often, that's the way we go to God in prayer. We want him to be the king that we've created in our mind and in our image. Rather than the king that he's come to be. Are you confused about the kingdom of God? Perhaps you're living in kingdoms in conflict. Need I illustrate? You consider yourself a a kingdom of, of God's, a citizen of God's kingdom. But yet when you look at the priorities or the praise of your life, your kingdom is more about maybe your family. Or your kingdom is more about your career. 
For some, we've realized in recent days their kingdom is about their identity, whether that's the color of their skin or how they identify politically. And if that's your, if that's your focus, then your kingdoms are in conflict. Because if you are a child of God, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you were created to be a part of His kingdom. When you're not, your praise and your priorities become misplaced. So just ask this question, perhaps, as you're trying to figure this out. What gets you most excited? What causes the greatest enthusiasm in your life? It's okay that other things excite you, but, but let's just put it in perspective. Do, do you ever get as excited about your faith as you do when you see your grandkids? Do you ever get as excited about your walk with God as you do about a sports team? Do you ever get as excited about this journey of faith as you do about succeeding in your career or amassing wealth? You see, if... if if your relationship with Jesus is not the most important thing in your life, then your, your kingdom focus is out of place. Another thing to ask is, where do I spend most of my time? How do I expend most of my energy? What do I do with most of my resources? You see, all these things are painting a picture. They're telling the world around you what your life is all about. You're either focused on building his kingdom or it's all about your kingdom. And in some of our lives, it's not really a kingdom, it's a thingdom because we're just seeing what we can gather. And, and so I think it's for fitting that Jesus begins here because for many of us, this is the issue. We're, we're truly not submitting to the authority of the king. We're not letting him rule and reign in our life. And until we do, all of these other things that we go to him in prayer about are in jeopardy. So I ask you before we go to this second part of the prayer of Jesus, can you say, Jesus, you rule in me. Jesus, you reign in me. Jesus, you are the authority in my life. Your doxology tells you what your life is all about, but your doxology also tells you how you're going to make it. Do you ever feel like you can't make it? Do you ever get to the point in our house sometimes, I have to confess, one of us might say this, I'm just done. What are we saying? I, I, I can't take anymore. I'm over it. Do you ever get to that point where you feel weak? Well, Jesus reminds us that while we live in existence for His kingdom, our existence takes place through His power. So, where does the power of God come from in your life? Let me ask, answer that. So, the disciples had just said to Jesus, All right, that was really cool. <laughs> you're dead, now you're alive. 
you've hung out, you're loving us. Oh, we love you, Jesus. Now, are you going to start your kingdom like we want you to? And then Jesus says this. No, <laughs> it's not for you to know the time or, or the, the days of all that. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses. You will receive what? When? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If you are a child of God, the power of God is available to you through the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit of God. Do you understand that? The power of the Holy Spirit? So what does that mean? Well, I'm glad you've asked. Look at Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who's able to do far more abundantly than we ask or think according to what? The power that's at work within us. Now this is written to Christ followers. If you were a Christ follower, what power is at work in you? The Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives you the ability to do far more abundantly than even what you've begun to ask or think. So when you pray these things, when you go to God and you say, cause your name to be sacred, cause your kingdom to come, cause your will to be done, give me my daily needs, forgive me, protect me. When you go to God with those prayers, you are then to expect Him to work in a mighty way in your life because of the power that He's already given you. So I would ask you, what do you really expect when you pray? If you're not sensing his power, it may be that you've not submitted to his kingdom. Did you catch that? If you're not sensing his power in your life, maybe you didn't get this first step down. You're not submitted to his kingdom. So how is God's power manifested? How do you know if this is taking place? Well, when God's power is being manifested in your life, you begin to see him do things that can't be ascribed to anything else. So when's the last time you've trusted God to do something you can't do? In your personal life. Maybe in a relationship. Maybe in your financial management. Maybe with a career goal. Maybe a new educational pursuit. When's the last time you've said, God, if this be in your will, I, I trust you to do this, but it will not happen apart from you. That's where we are right now as a church. As we put these plans before you, just on this campus alone, uh, over a $5 million investment of capital restructuring Flipping our existing worship center, creating new gathering space, a, a new grand entryway, a place we can gather in and, and worship for generations to come. But as I look at this, there's, there's no way we do that in our power. It's going to take him. But he can do it. He's 
got the power. It's the kingdom. It's the power. And then that third thing is the glory. You see, your, your doxology also tells you why you are still here. You ever wonder that? Some of you may be at a, a stage different than this, but um, my sweet mom, Lord willing, will be in the next service. She moved here just over a year ago. Um, on Thursday evening, I, I met with her to, to let her know that one of my aunts, her sister-in-law, had just gone to be with Jesus. Um, right now, my wife is meeting with her, telling her that her sister-in-law's husband, my uncle, her brother, has gone to be with Jesus. And, um, but when I was telling her this on Thursday evening, she kind of took the news in. And then she began to, to cry a little bit. And then she said, well, I guess God's just leaving me here for some reason. Because they're all younger than me. I just want to live the reason that God is leaving me here. You ever think about that in your life? God, why am I still here? And the older you get, my dad used to say, getting old's not for sissies. <laughs> so you do get to a point where you say, even now, come quickly, Lord Jesus. But often God leaves us here. Why? That's this part of the prayer. It's the glory of God. Now this may upset some of you. It may shock some of you. It may be a surprise to a lot of you. But God's not here for you. You're here for Him. Everything you see, all that exists, is not just for your pleasure. It's for the glory of God. It's not about you. I've lived over 50 years and it never changes. There's nothing more empty than a self-centered life. Oh, don't make it about you. The reality is your doxology necessitates that you give glory to God. Because praise and pride cannot coexist. If your life is all about you, or your children, or your grandchildren, or your career, or your bank account, or your relationships, if it's all about you, it necessarily can't be all about Him. So we get to choose. And all throughout Scripture, we're told what to choose. Psalm 115.1 says, Not to us, O Lord, but to your name give glory. Remember Ephesians 3.20, we said that we can do exceedingly abundantly beyond what we've asked or dreamt or thought because of the power of God at work within us. Look at the next verse. To Him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen. You were created for glory. It's like the moon's relationship to the sun. You understand that, right? The moon is a dark place. There's no light radiating from the moon. The light we see, even this week in that beautiful full moon, was the light of the sun being reflected. God's creation for you was so that your life would reflect His light. And when others saw you, they would be pointed to Him. 
That's what it means to give God glory. Isaiah 43, 7 says, Everyone who's called by my name, who I created for my glory, whom I formed and made, you were created for God's glory, and you will give him glory. You will give him glory. Either voluntarily or mandatorily. We know that because... Philippians 3 says that the name of Jesus, every, Philippians 2, every knee shall bow, every tongue confess in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And that's to the glory, it says in the next verse, of God the Father. You either give God glory voluntarily now or you will give him glory mandatorily later. Because God is a jealous God. Isaiah 48, 11, he says, my glory I will not give to another. Psalm 29, 1, he says, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. That's why many of the great composers like Bach and Handel, they would always write three letters on their musical composition. Do you know what it was? S-D-G. Soli Deo Gloria. Glory only to God. So why don't we do this? Here's what I suspect. We don't give God glory because God's not big enough to us. Remember your doxology is just a spontaneous expression of what's going on around you. Your praise is either going to be about all those wrong things in your life or God is going to be so big to you that it's, it's going to just flow out of you. Everybody that knows you is going to see that you give glory to God. That's just the way you live. When we don't, we don't see God for how great he is. The bigger he is to you, the more you praise him. The smaller you make him, the less praise you will give. And there's only two ways to make something bigger. You magnify it or you get closer to it. I would suggest you do both. Now on the football field, when a player gets a touchdown, if they're not careful, they can be penalized <laughs> for too much celebration. And that began to happen because there were some pretty extravagant celebration rituals that would take place in the end zones. <laughs> but one of the earliest ones was when you would, you would see a, a player just doing this. You know what they were saying after they scored? They're saying, just give up the praise. Just give up the praise. Just give up the praise. They were so excited about what had happened. They wanted everybody around them to give up the praise. Church, I, I think when we understand who God is and all that that means, when we understand that he's all-knowing, that he's all-powerful, that he's all-loving, that he's ever-present, that he is with us at all times, when we understand that God is that way, it makes us just want to give up the praise. We want to give up the praise. We want to give up the praise. So I ask you, does your life give God glory? Does your family give God glory? Does your education give God glory? Does your pleasures give God glory? 
I love the hymn. I can think of that shotgun traditional church I was raised in singing to God be the glory great things he has done so loved he the world that he gave us his son who yielded his life and atonement for sin and opened the life gate that all may go in praise the Lord praise the Lord let the earth hear his voice praise the Lord praise the Lord let the people rejoice so come to the father through Jesus the son and give him the glory great things he has done Do you understand what we're supposed to be about? We're about God's kingdom. Have you learned how we're supposed to do it? We do it through His power. You understand why you're here? You're here for His glory. But that's not all. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Say forever. Let me tell you something you don't understand. Forever. Our finite minds cannot grasp infinite. And yet the creator of all that is says all creation will give him glory forever. The reason we need to get this right now is because that's God's plan for your forever. C.S. Lewis said this, all that is not eternal is eternally out of date. Are you living with the end in mind? As you look at your life, and you've probably prayed this prayer, you've prayed other prayers Hundreds and thousands of times throughout your life. But as you look at your life, what are you doing that's making a forever eternal impact? What are you doing that's going to last for his kingdom, through his power, for his glory? What are you doing forever? I remember the first time I heard Handel's Messiah. And if you're not familiar with that, it it literally tells the story of Christ in song. And then it gets to that majestic place where the orchestra begins to play, the choir begins to sing, and everybody stands as they hear these words. And he shall reign forever. And ever, and he shall reign forever and ever, and he shall reign forever and ever. Hallelujah! Praise the Lord. The Lord God omnipotent reigns. And then there's the amen. And that is our question Will we amen? What Jesus has taught. Do you know what amen means? The first amen, really literally in the Hebrew, was in Genesis 15 in verse 6. That verse says, and he believed the Lord and God counted it to him as righteousness. Who is he in this passage, church? Not Jesus. It is Abraham. It's, It's Abraham. And so Abraham 
believed the promise of God. And so we see here that he responded in faith, and God, just like he does in the New Testament through Jesus, credited it to Abraham as righteousness. But when it says, and he believed, in the Hebrew, that word is literally, he amened. That's what amen means at the end of your prayer. Yes. I agree. I believe. Let it be so. I got it. That's what I'm talking about. Amen is our personal endorsement. It's us saying, yes, Lord, this is my prayer in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord, I want your name to be sacred in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord, I want your kingdom to come in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord, I want your will to be done on earth as it is in heaven in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord, I'm trusting you for my daily needs in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord, I receive your forgiveness and I forgive others in the name of Jesus. Yes, Lord, I know you you'll protect me in the name of Jesus. So Lord, yours is the kingdom. Yours is the power. Yours is the glory forever. Yes, Lord. It's putting our yes on the table. So that's what I ask you if you're willing to do. The disciples watched Jesus perform miracles. They watched him preach, captivate audiences. They watched him heal the sick and even raise the dead. But the only thing we have recorded that they asked him to teach them was to pray. What will you learn from the lesson of Jesus? What has he taught you? What will you do about it? Let's bow our heads. If you're here as a follower of Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do something. And you're going to hear instrumentalists begin to play on all of our campuses. If you're viewing online, you can do what I'm saying even where you are. But if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and your yes is on the table at the end of the prayer that our Lord taught us, then I'm going to invite you today in a simple way just to symbolically express that. And I know on our central campus here, this is a, it's a family life center. It's, it's not created to be a worship center. So it's not as comfortable doing this. But I'm going to encourage you to do this anyway. If you're physically able and, and your yes is on the table before the Lord and, and you want his kingdom to come, you want his will to be numb, you want his name to be sacred, all these things we've learned to pray, if that's what you want for his glory, I'm going to ask you even now just to begin to make your way to the front of this room, on each of our campuses, to the front of the room, and then just to kneel. Couples kneeling together, single adults kneeling together, students kneeling together, just saying, God, yes. Whatever the question, the answer is yes. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. And even as you're still coming, there are some here that have never begun that relationship with Christ. Your first yes is to say, yes, Jesus. I believe I'm a sinner. Yes, Jesus. I believe you died for me. Yes, Jesus. 
I want you to live forever in my life. If you've never taken that step, maybe right now you would pray this prayer. Father, oh Jesus, just you and Jesus, pray this. Jesus, I know I need you. I'm a sinner. I believe you died for me. I know you're alive today. Oh, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. Thank you. And I commit to following you. I want you to rule in my life. I want you to reign in my life. I submit to your kingdom from now on. Save me, Jesus. Tell him thank you. Tell him thank you. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed, but if you just prayed that prayer with me, wherever you are on any of our campuses or online, I, I want you to let us know that. And in the room, physically, if you've prayed that prayer with me, would you just lift your hand up right where you are saying, yeah, pastor, I prayed that prayer today. That's awesome. Way in the back. Praise God. That's awesome. Here near the front. Praise God. It's the most important thing you could ever do. Welcome to God's family. Welcome to the family of God. As we begin to sing, and even as others are still kneeling here, praying, committing their yes, there are pastors from this church that will be on these sides. If you just prayed that prayer, I want to invite you to, to get out of your, your seat and, and to come take the hand of one of these pastors that are standing there. and Just let them know you prayed that prayer. Maybe you have another need and you just want a pastor to pray with you. This is that moment for this today. Father, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you. What a powerful moment. We say, yes, Lord. Hear our cry. Yes, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.